0: Welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman. I'm here today with the other host, Matt Basta, and we have a very special guest today, Charles Max Maxwood, programming genius. He's an entrepreneur. He's a podcast master. He has so much uh, going on in his life. Uh, How about we get a little introduction about who you are and what you do, Chuck?
1: Wow, you make me sound a whole lot better than I think of myself.
0: Oh, well, you certainly are. This guy... (laughs) Uh, Just for our listener, if you don't know who Charles Maxwood is, he has at least, I'd say, what, five or six podcasts? That's probably an underestimation.
1: It it all depends on whether or not you take your shoes off and use your toes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, I currently uh, produce five podcasts. Um, They are uh, Ruby Rogues, about Ruby and programming. Uh, JavaScript jabbers about JavaScript and programming, and I'm going to say and programming with all of these because in a lot of cases, we talk about things that are generally applicable to programming, uh, but there is kind of a bent toward whatever technology the show is about. Sure. So in a lot of cases, with Ruby Rogues, for example, uh, we have a large group of people that listen to it that don't do Ruby, and they just skip the ones we do on Rails or Ruby or whatever. Or they'll listen because they're interested in the ecosystem but not necessarily doing it every day. Um, I have an iOS show called iFreaks. A freelancing show called The Freelancer Show. Um, and then I also have... Which one did I leave off? Adventures in Angular about Angular JS, And I have a video series about Ruby on Rails. And that would be number six if you're counting. Uh, and that's called Rails Clips. And uh, that one's pretty new. Uh, we did a Kickstarter in April and May. And then got it launched in July, August. And uh, right now I'm covering how to build APIs with Rails. And then uh, I've got a couple of ideas on where we'll go from there. Um, What I'm thinking right now is that I will actually alternate between a theme and actually building an app. And so, you know, there are five to 10 minute videos. And so it'll probably be highlights of me building an app instead of all the nitty gritty details of, oh, you wrote another Rails model, but... Yeah, uh so right now I probably have uh 12 videos out on APIs. I'm looking to produce probably another 8 or 9 and then I'll move on to a series on how to build whatever app I want to build with with Rails. So.
0: Oh, fantastic. Um Very cool. So, what's your back Well, you have so much background in computer science. I guess where did you go to to school and what got you interested in even programming? What got that passion started?
1: Uh so it's kind of funny. Um I did. Uh, well, I first my first programming experience was uh, I was in junior high school. Uh, we took a. I was in the math club and we did Pascal to learn about math and stuff like that. And it, I mean, it wasn't much. It was just you know you plug in the mathematical formula and then you have it plot it kind of thing. And I had a graphing calculator that I programmed as well, but it was really basic stuff. In high school, I actually took electronics classes. And the programming in there was mostly actually uh, directly pinning in, like putting signals to pins to uh, give instructions to an eighty eighty five processor. And oh, so wow. we were actually, yeah, so you have assembly code and then you have the actual uh, binary patterns that go into the register. yeah, that that's what we were doing. And you know, so we were programming really simple stuff to turn on LEDs and crap like that. Um, in college, I started out as an electrical engineering major and took some computer science classes and thought that was kind of fun. Um, I wound up getting a degree in computer engineering from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Um, I also worked IT in college and that's kind of where this all started. Um, I worked with a guy who was really into PHP and MySQL And he had been building some sites where he sold some products and things like that. I got into it just doing what he was doing. And then when I was, uh, when I took over some Linux uh, systems administration, because I was actually a sysadmin, I wasn't a programmer at BYU. um, I did some work where it would pull down system updates and then distribute them across. All of the servers that the university had, which was hundreds of servers, and that was all Bash programming. Uh, I graduated. I got a job at a company called Mosey. They do online backup, so sort of like Carbonite or Backblaze, if you're familiar with them. Oh, okay. It's the same idea. Um, in fact, they were they were there right after Carbonite and kind of dominated the market for a while. Anyway, we I was running the tech support department and. I talked to my boss and I said, look, boss, we have all these people uh, doing this work and we just got featured in the Wall Street Journal and we kind of need a system where we can manage all of the support requests coming in. And he said, "Uh, well, that's nice, but we don't have any money to buy one. And so I started working with my coworker and we began building one in Ruby on Rails because that's what the company used. So we used Ruby on Rails to build that out. At first, it was just uh, reading from the email server over IMAP and putting all those emails in a database and then displaying them for us so we could reply to them and then connecting back to the email server and sending those email, the email responses out and immediately loading the next email. Uh, we had to build in a mutex pretty fast so that we weren't answering the same email as each other. Because uh, there were two of us, and then eventually it grew to more of us. Um, we started building in things like canned responses, and um, you know, w- better tracking for email threads, and ticketing, and a whole bunch of other things. And pretty soon, I figured out that what I had thought of as kind of a, a fun little toy that I had played with in college—that being programming—was actually a serious thing that could solve problems. And so, definitely, uh, uh, a lucrative I, business. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. It was way more fun than um, trying to figure out why somebody's Windows machine wouldn't back up the right files or it was giving them a connection (laughs) error or whatever. (laughs) Definitely. So uh, I went to my boss and I said, you know, I'd really like to be a programmer. And at that point, the programming staff was pretty elite. And also the company was still pretty small. There were 20 or so employees and about half of them were in my department and I was managing them doing the tech support. So they kind of told me no. I think they wanted me where I was at as much as the, the developers really didn't want to take on somebody who was at an entry level at programming. So uh, anyway, I moved into QA eventually due to some political maneuverings when the company was about 60 or 70 people. I did that for six months. And then my coworker looked at me. That was also, incidentally, when I got introduced to podcasts. Um and I'll talk about that in a minute, probably fantastic. But, but, uh, anyway, uh, my coworker looked at me and said, I don't know what they're paying you, but I bet you could get more somewhere else. And so I went out and I got an offer. I brought it back to see if they would match it again. The, the politics were, uh, turning right away there. And, um, I basically got a token counter offer that wasn't even close. So I left and with those two offers, one was a QA another QA position. And, and, uh, and the other was a development position, which is what I wanted, and so that was my first dev job. It was at a consulting shop, uh, again here in Utah. Um, I just I I really enjoyed it. I wound up working with a fellow who had been programming for like 15 years, and he was a terrific mentor. Um, he's still doing Ruby on Rails, uh, dabbles in a lot of other things. Um, he has some unconventional ideas about JavaScript. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the guy to death and he he really helped me along the way. Um, but after about a year, that company was mostly focused in C Sharp and Java. And their Ruby on Rails clients kind of all disappeared. They either quit paying them or um, they had to cut back because uh, because business reasons. They just weren't making as much money. So their solution was to lay me off. Um, oh, geez. And that was on my third Third wedding anniversary, actually. Uh, oh. So oh, I show up at home at eleven yeah.
0: o'clock. Oh no!
1: You know, and I'm, I'm I called my wife on the way home, and I'm like, so there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we get to spend our anniversary together. The bad news is is that uh, I don't have a job. Ugh. and you know there was no severance, and I got the got told the you you've used more. Uh, vacation time than you had, so we're taking that out of your last paycheck. So they what? were taking money. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh, oh my god. Yeah the the general manager guy was kind of a jerk. But, sure sounds it. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I came home. I put my resume up on Monster. Uh, hung out with my wife and kids. And I got a call after like two hours. Uh, I went down to their office. Uh, did the interview. I was pulling out of there, and uh, we were going to go to dinner that night, so I was going home to pick up my wife for dinner, and I was like 10 minutes away from their office. They called me up and said, we want to we hire you. When can you start? And I'm like, tomorrow. Oh, so, great. <laughs> so I took that job. Uh, I, liked, I I loved that job for the first month, and then I hated the next 11 months. Eventually left. Uh, I worked for another startup uh, in Salt Lake. If you go to crimereports.com... Uh, Most of the geocoding of crime data and uh, sex offender data is work that I did for them um, along with all kinds of other stuff on the back end. So I worked there for six months. And then um, while I was there, they hired a marketing manager that took them in the wrong direction and actually alienated about half of their paying customers. And so they had a major layoff and the board, you know, fired a whole bunch of people in the C level and, it was messy, but because at that point I was getting paid, uh, you know, more than other people, I got laid off. Because that's how they kind of figured that out. So they laid off the highest paid people uh, instead of looking at you know the value that could be brought. But that turned out to be a good thing because that's when I went freelance, and I've been freelance now for f- five years. Today, I think it's oh. five years today.
0: Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's a great uh, anniversary. Um, It's funny, earlier we mentioned all the podcasts that you do, and we said, oh, if you're counting six, it's Rails Clip. Actually, the other podcast that we failed to mention is actually the one that brought you to my attention, is the Entre Programmers. You were kind of brought into that show uh, later in the life of that. Uh, Do you want to talk about that and how you got involved with them?
1: Yeah, so um, I have known Derek Bailey for several years. Uh, I met him by bringing him on to the JavaScript Jabber podcast, and then we had kind of uh, stayed in touch off and on. Um, And Peter Cooper actually introduced or did an email introduction to John Sonmez and uh, said, you ought to get him on the show. He does awesome stuff. And so I brought him, he's been on all of the podcasts that I produce except for Rails Clips, obviously, because he's not a real sure. person and the freelancer. No, he might've been on the freelancer show. I don't think he has, but okay. he's been on all of the other ones, uh, talking about soft skills and careers, which he, he just, he's a terrific, terrific, knowledgeable person about all that stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, it, it worked out pretty nicely. And, uh, little did I know that they knew each other and had worked with each other and they invited me to come on to entre programmers as a guest. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So I came on and I talked about what I had going on. And I got an email from him two days later and said, do you want to be a regular?
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the the episode that you initially aired on, you f- it felt like you were a regular right off the bat. And they were... I remember they were just asking you for advice just because of how much knowledge you have of the podcasting world and all of that and sponsors and things like that. So that that's awesome that you were able to join their mastermind group. And I know this, that's not the only mastermind group you're a part of. Am I correct?
1: That's correct. Um I was originally part of uh, Cliff Ravenscraft's podcast mastermind, which is now closed. Okay, um, He doesn't do it anymore, but he had about six groups that he moderated, and that was actually really helpful. Um, there were a few things I liked about it, a few things I didn't like about it, but for the most part, it was worth being a part of. And then um, after he closed that down, I started my own for a while, and that kind of fizzled out. I just wasn't getting what I needed out of it. So I, I said, guys, I'm, I'm done. Um, you know, I love those guys, but it just it just wasn't worth the hassle that I was going through to keep it going. Um, sure. And then finally, I found another group, and that one is run by aaron walker if you go to view to the top.com or viewfromthetop.com. um he he it's actually a men's group um and it's it's for men of faith and the way that it works is uh yeah he moderates those groups and it's also a paid service but um anyway he I, I found him through John Lee Dumas's entrepreneur on fire podcast. Oh yeah, and he had a deal on there where you could actually sign up for like a 30 minute call. And so I did a 30 minute call with him and that 30 minute call changed the way that I looked at a lot of things. And so I was like, man, if I can pay for his time i'm I'm totally in. Yeah and absolutely. so he yeah, so I, I, I joined that group. It's called Iron, Iron Sharpen's Iron and uh i've met aaron uh, i met him at podcast movement actually in person and uh he and the other guys in my group are just awesome and so we we meet every week on wednesday morning and Uh, I just, I I can't say enough good things about it. The other thing is, is that Entreprogrammers and Iron Sharpens Iron, uh, we both, we talk about business in both, but the focus is different enough to where I get to see parts of my life through different lenses and I get, I get different feedback. And so that being the case, it really helps me know what I should be doing and help, helps me identify um where i'm going and what i'm doing and how that lines up with the values i have.
0: Certainly. And when you're in a position where you're you're your own boss, it's like who do i look up to to make sure that i'm on track. So it's nice to have that kind of uh like-minded individuals pointing you in the direction that they think you should be going cuz they're all we are all in it together trying to help each other.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: Cool. Um one thing i i was always curious about but i never was sure if it's true or not, is there such a thing as a dev chat studio or is all of all of the podcasts that you record done remotely via Skype and just recording audio remotely?
1: So I live in this five bedroom house and four <laughs> of the bedrooms are set up as bedrooms. Three of them actually have people sleep in them regularly. My boys share a room, my girls share a room. We have a Guest room that's kind of the nursery as well, so we'll have somebody in there in a few months here, and then um, there's our room, and the fifth bedroom is my office, and it's kind of funny. I I never really worked in a cubicle, and then my wife found a deal online somewhere where somebody was selling there. Basically, it's a cubicle. I sit in a cubicle in my house, and uh, yeah, it's perfect for people acoustics. think it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it does kind of dampen the noise a little bit, but um, people think that's hilarious that, you know, I left my full-time job and then wound up working in a cubicle as a that freelancer.
0: quite ironic.
1: But uh, <laughs> that's but yeah, so if there's a dev chat Studios, it's this exceptionally messy room that I need to clean up again in my house. And then, yeah, we record all of the shows over Skype.
0: Okay, cool. That's, that's, uh, thanks for uh, being transparent about that. Cause that was just something I always was just thinking like, are these guys all sitting around a table? <laughs> well, I'm
1: glad it sounds that good.
0: <laughs> it does. It really does. I'll, I'll give you guys that praise. Um, uh, also, is that something that you'd want in the future or is that kind of too, like, out of the realm of possibility? So, just because of where everybody's located.
1: So the 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 deal is is like if I had that setup that I uh, I talked to I talked to you a little bit before the show if I could get a, like a machine a dedicated machine for like each seat on the show yeah. and then pipe that through my mixer and you know manage everybody separately then um the shows where I have people who are local if they wanted to come in they could come in and talk into a mic and then everybody else would just dial in um I know mm-hmm. that's how Leo Laporte does it for the twit.tv shows. Um okay. is he is he has some people that are remote and some people who are in the studio. And I'm not sure exactly how he does that because I haven't actually been to a studio. That's one of one of the things I want to do. It's on my bucket list. But um the flip side is, is that if I had a studio uh, that was outside of my house. I really like being at home, and I really like being able to be here when my kids are here, and be here when my wife needs to go run errands and stuff. So there are definite trade-offs there. Um, yeah. One other thing that would be nice about having an actual studio is that I would probably be more prone to hire hire full time employees that are part time people, you know, college students or you know other uh, high school students, local people who can do the work that I need done, and I think yeah. that might actually be cheaper than the way I do it now in some ways and I could probably get better quality work because I can sit next to somebody and say no that's not how I want that um, exactly but the flip side is is that I have awesome and reliable people right now and I can stay at home and the the way I do things right now works. Um, so I go back and forth I'm not I'm not entirely sure if I want to go that way or not. The other thing is is if I hire full-time employees then I have to start playing payroll games. And, you know, report to the state and report to the federal government and all that crap. And I don't know if I want to do that either. Um, I can tell you that my dad... So my dad has his own business. He's a dentist uh, here in uh, Provo, Utah. And uh, so all of his uh, dental assistants are part-time. Because okay. he doesn't need them there the, the entire time that he's there. So... The The issue is, is that he's had several of them that have stolen from him. Uh, he's had one that actually uh, was committing fraud on her uh, time cards. And oh, with all of that stuff, when he let them go, he still had to pay unemployment. And so, I mean, just stuff like that kind of makes me a little bit hesitant to hire somebody. Because I don't want to hire somebody and then have some kind of legal issue come up because even though they didn't work out or weren't good employees or weren't good people, you know, I, I still have to, you know, I have to pay some penalty for having hired them in the first place. Yeah, if they're, if they're contractors, it's, it's okay. You screwed up. The contract's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, for the most part, you know, I give people plenty of chances. Uh, the folks that I have working for me now, um, only one of them has been working for me for less than three months and he's already proven himself. And so at that point then it's like, yeah, you kind of screwed this up, but just do it differently next time. And I can count on them doing it right. So yeah, there, there are definite trade-offs there, but that's kind of what I'm looking at. So,
0: okay. Yeah. yeah that, lot, that's lots of thoughts, reasonable.
1: but yeah, basically uh, I'd have to have a really compelling reason for actually setting up a studio um, I could see it happening in the future. I have some other ideas of things that I could do where it would be nice to have a studio, but at this point, no, I probably won't.
2: Okay, Thanks. let me ask you something. So you, you've got all of these podcasts, right? And and as uh-huh. far as you know, audience goes and engagement. I mean, you've achieved what you know is, is the dream of so many podcasters out there, right? What sort of freelance work do you do these days? Since you've got so much going uh, for the podcasts.
1: Um. So right now I am, I I kind of take uh, contract work off and on these days. So I'm not out out there actively finding work. Um, I kind of wait for the work to find me. I've got uh, a a retainer deal that I just barely you know inked the paper on, uh, and that's like four to six hours a month. So it's really not that intrusive. I've got another deal. It's it's probably three months uh worth of work and you know they want some pretty drastic uh, upgrades to their system. Um for one I have another developer that helps me with a lot of that. He's in Argentina and he does tremendous work. Um he's worked with me for years. He's worked on a lot of my stuff too. He's probably done more work on DevChat.tv than I have development wise. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know I've done I've done plenty of work. I mean I get in there and, and work on it too, but he's he's done probably more than I have. And uh, he helps me with those contracts too. And I pay him. So I pick up the work that I can handle or feel like I need to handle for the client. And then I hand a lot of that off to him too. And then it really just comes down to what do I have going on this week? Um, what are my commitments? Do I have enough time to put in the kind of time that I need to to do right by this client? And how much you know can I outsource to um, my uh, my other developer and get all that work done, um, but yeah, that that's kind of the level I'm at, and I'm usually I usually top out at about ten hours of consulting a week, um, okay. and sometimes it's it's a lot less than that depending on what I'm going on. Uh, so, for example, with this retainer client, um, I'm not doing any work for him next week because I have Angular Remote Conf next week, um, and I'm getting stuff together for Rails Remote Conf now, but a lot of that's at this point it's basically automated. I've got, I've got most of it systematized. There are a few things that I do myself on the marketing just cause I like having the personal touch, but they're things that only take me a half hour or so a day and, uh, are important enough to me to do myself. And then the rest of it is mostly, yeah, a system that I can hand off to other folks. Um, and so then it's just emceeing the conference. And so those weeks I take off and I don't do any work, but the other weeks, you know, if, if i have everything else done for rails clips and for the podcasts and you know stuff like that and the conferences then yeah you know i can put in 10 or 15 hours a week
0: cool yeah that's that's good um do you want to talk about the remote conferences a little bit i know you recently had one earlier this year for javascript and now you're mentioning there's one on the horizon for rails and what and ruby i mean what what else
1: uh, so angular remote conf is next week that's right i don't i don't know when this publishes uh, uh,
0: Probably three weeks from now, but we'll see.
1: <laughs> right. So too late for Angular Remote Conf. That's September 24th through 26th. Um, it is not too late for Rails Remote Conf. That's going to be September or November 5th through 7th. Um, I did JavaScript Remote Conf uh, earlier this year in February. I actually did a little different format. That was all in the evening. It was like two hours a night for, on six nights. Uh, That was kind of rough in some ways and worked out nicely in others. Uh, Yeah, I was
0: going to ask, what was, uh, how was it, uh, I guess, how did your audience handle that? Because personally, that seemed to be better for me, but I wasn't sure how that would work for other programmers that wanted to tune in.
1: So it was kind of mixed feedback. Um, Doing it later in the evening made it hard for people in Europe to attend. I got a lot of feedback about that. It was, I think, a little bit better timing for people in the South Pacific and Australia and Asia, Um, but overall, I got way more feedback from people who said it was too late at night than too early in the morning. Um, The other thing was, was that it was after work in the U.S., and so a lot of people were happy to come to that, but I did get feedback from several people that were saying, I can't make it all those nights. And so, I mean, we we did provide the videos afterward, but it's different than actually being there and being able to submit your question and get it answered by the expert in real time and things like that. So I changed it up. Uh, Ruby Remote Conf was in June, and I tried doing basically a three-day conference for four hours a day. No, I did a four-day conference four hours a day. Um, you know, basically from noon to 4:30 Eastern time, and that worked out a lot better for me, and it didn't seem to really deter that many people from attending, and so that worked out real really well as well. And then, um, Angular Remote Conf's on the same schedule, so that's 12 12 p.m. to 4:30 p.m. um, Mount or Eastern time, so it's, for me that's 10 10 a.m. to 2:30 p.m. and okay. uh, you know. Th- that seems to work out nicely for everybody unless you're in Australia. And I've had a handful of people say, I'm in Australia and it's like 2 in the morning, um, which kind of sucks for them. But you kind of have to pick a, an area of the world, I guess, where it yeah. doesn't work for. And uh, that's that's kind of where it's hit. Uh, the flip side is is that I've gotten a lot more European registra- registrations. And it has totally offset the difference on for me. Monetarily, as far as that goes, and the time—the time is way more convenient for me, so I'm probably going to keep them at that time. And I just feel bad for the South Pacific, I guess.
0: Yeah, I hear you. That's kind of unavoidable. Um, are these something you intend on being an annual event? Yes. Fantastic. Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to do Rails Remote Conf in November. Um, I—I'm not. I—I I may move the 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 dates of them around a little bit. Um, I found that Ruby Remote Conf being in June, a lot of people were on vacation or, you know, they were just not focused on that kind of thing. So I'm probably <laughs> going to move it to May. Okay. Um, the only downside I see to any of that is that Rails Remote Conf is like a couple of weeks before Ruby Conf. And so people who are going to both, it's going to be an extra 100 or $200 for them to attend uh, Rails Remote Conf. But the flip side is, is that you know, compared to what they're paying to go to RubyConf, it's it's chump change. Um, yeah, and
0: maybe something to consider would be some sort of uh, season pass or something where you get access to all four conferences or something along those lines, where you could potentially save money, but also. I don't know, some kind of early bird access. I think you do do that with some of the ticket prices.
1: Yeah, I do early bird access or early bird prices, and I like the way that it's worked out. But yeah, the early bird prices are basically half price uh, up up through the early bird. Now, if this goes out in three weeks, it's past early bird for Rails Remote Conf. But by then, I should also have the website up for next year's JavaScript Remote Conf or JS Remote Conf, and uh, it'll be the same deal. It'll be $100, early bird $200, um, regular price. And I also have the user's group tickets. So if you have a user's group or uh, companies can buy their group tickets and the group tickets basically come out to uh, 10 times whatever the individual is and then you can have as many people on site as you want.
0: Oh, great. That's awesome. Um, okay, well, here's a two-part question and then I'll let Matt ask some questions because I'm like stealing everything. Uh, <laughs> it's, but, uh, it's all
1: good. We'll go as long as you want.
0: All right, great. Um, so... You have so many podcasts. I have to ask, what was your first podcast experience? Which was, what was the name of it? And also the second part of this question is, um, uh, where did it go? Uh, Well, let's just uh, go with that and then maybe I'll think of it.
1: Well, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, (laughs) I was working at Mosey. I was in QA and uh, I was, you know, doing my testing. And back then it was the dark ages where, Things like selenium existed, but my boss didn't get it and so we had to do the testing manually so you know, you can imagine I'm sitting there and I'm kind of i I would write the test scripts and that was the skilled part of the job but I would also execute the test scripts, which was mindlessly clicking crap um, yeah. you know or they I would get hear from the developers there's a new feature go test it and so i would find ways to break and or hack it and i was very good at that um but anyway so i'm sitting there one time and i'm mindlessly clicking on stuff you know checking through stuff working and my coworker, there were two of us in qa at the time and then there was a team that we worked with in india um that, that also did some of the manual testing so he's over there and he is cracking up he's sitting right behind me and he is laughing <sighs> And I'm, I turn around and I'm like, is he watching a video on YouTube? No, I'm like, what are you laughing at? And you know, I had to, I had to kind of tap him on the shoulder to get his attention. He pulls his headphones off and he goes, I'm like, what are you laughing at? He's like, oh, well, I was listening to this podcast. And I'm like, podcast? You know, I'd heard of, I'd heard of the, the word, but I hadn't really thought about it. Well, he had just bought one of those brand new. Uh, iPods, right? Like right when they had come out. Oh, yeah. And he had then checked out podcasts and he had found like Grammar Girl and a whole bunch of others. And I, by then I was into Rails, but I was doing QA and I was like, oh, that's cool. I wish I had an iPod. And he's like, you don't need an iPod to listen to podcasts. And I'm like, oh, really? So my, I had a little Mac Mini. I think it was a Mac Mini. I had a Mac Mini sitting on my desk that already had iTunes on it. And he's like, you could just use iTunes to listen to the podcast. I'm like, oh, okay. So my headphones got plugged into my Mac mini. And so I would be listening to podcasts on the same Mac mini I was using to test the software. And I was actually running the Mac beta at the time. So, you know, it could have crapped out the Mac at any time. But <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, so I really got into podcasts and I started listening to one called Rails Envy. Uh, that's by Greg Pollack. If you are familiar with Code School. Uh he's the guy behind Code School. Okay. Um and at the time he and a guy named Jason Cypher uh were doing Rails envy and I thought, "Oh, this is cool." So I started listening to them and after a while I thought to myself, "Gee, it would be really fun to do a podcast." And so I emailed Greg and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, he's this big celebrity guy. No, he's just a developer dude in Orlando who talks about Rails and records videos about Rails. And so he emails me back the next day and he's like, Yes, you should start a podcast. This sounds really cool. And I'm like, Yeah, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this exact same podcast you're doing. He's like, Oh, well, here's some other ideas. So I started interviewing people. That was one of the suggestions. So I called the podcast Rails Coach and I started interviewing people that I wanted to talk to in the Ruby community about Ruby and Rails. And my first oh, guest wow. was Greg Pollock. And about two or three or four episodes in was James Edward Gray. Um, I interviewed Peter Cooper. I interviewed uh, David Heinemeier Hansen, who created Ruby on Rails. I interviewed Gr- Jeffrey Grossenbach, who did Peep Code and the Ruby on Rails podcast at the time. He is now at Pluralsight. Um, I interviewed a whole bunch of other people in the Ruby on Rails community. And I, I interviewed um, Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt, who wrote Pragmatic Programmers. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and I've gotten to know Dave Thomas fairly well um, since then. And anyway, it just turned out to be this terrific thing. And at the same time, I had recorded two videos for my friend Eric's video series called Teach Me to Code. Uh, And again, those were mostly Ruby and Rails. Well, Eric got into Groovy and Grails And realized (laughs) his audience wasn't so interested in Groovy and Grails. And since I already had a track record of producing content through Rails Coach, he turned Teach Me to Code over to me. And so I did screencasts and podcasts for about two or three years um, while I was working through all these other jobs. And so I would sit down at my kitchen table in my house uh, after my wife had put the kids to bed and after she had gone upstairs to watch a show or something, and I would record these podcasts on my kitchen table on this USB mic that I had, and I'd release them. And, awesome. And uh, it was it was really, really fun. And I, I kind of started to uh, get busy with work, and so I started to podfade a little bit, and uh, James Edward Gray posted something that I had been thinking about for a while on Twitter, and that was that Ruby deserved to have a panel discussion show. And he was thinking uh, something along the lines of Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is a podcast I still never listened to. And I was thinking the same thing along the lines of twit.tv. And so when I saw the tweet, I got excited, and I tweeted him back, and I said, I said, I've been thinking the same thing. What do we got to do? And he said, well, you know, let's talk about it. So we started talking about it. I started inviting people. And we got uh, Aaron Patterson, who's a core committer for both Rails and Ruby. Uh, We got Peter Cooper, who does Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, and HTML5 Weekly, and a whole bunch of other weekly newsletters. Um, David Brady, who is a local guy here in Utah. Um, In fact, uh, short story, I met him at a users group, thought he looked familiar couldn't figure it out. We finally figured out that we lived in the same neighborhood and that he lived two <laughs> blocks from me and he looked familiar cause I'd seen him at church. Okay. So uh, we invited him cause both James and I knew him and then James and I, so that was the original uh, cast or panel on Ruby rogues. And uh, so we pulled that together. Uh, Aaron and Peter eventually pulled out cause they were busy and we brought Avdi and Josh in and that was the panel for a long, long, long time before we finally started switching people out because people had life things go on and had to leave or we felt like we needed to bring somebody else in the next the next january jameson dance came to me and said what does it take to start one of these podcasts i want to do one for javascript and i said oh well why don't i just help you do it and so i kind of took over uh that's kind of my personality i just do i you know i i, I don't talk a lot i just do so uh we started JavaScript Jabber, I started Freelancer Show about the same time. Uh iFreaks is about a year and a half later, and Adventures in Angular is uh just barely a year and like two months old.
0: But in order to do you have to talk a lot. Yeah. But no, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, that's and another thing I heard you say earlier that just r- rung a bell with me, it was uh you started to pod fade. I think that's the funniest term I've ever heard. And so many podcasts tend to pod fade. It's just um, speaking of pod fading, though, is Rails Coach still a thing?
1: So I rebooted it at one point, and I did about 30 episodes. I also renamed the original Rails Coach podcast to the Teach Me to Code podcast. Yeah, neither of those are running currently. Um, okay. I've thought about reviving Rails Coach because, honestly, Rails Clips is a subscription screencast. I put two videos out, one's paid, one's free every Month. And so I feel like it might be a good way to drive traffic to Rails clips and kind oh, of yeah. increase income that way. Um, but I haven't, I haven't, I just haven't sat down and figured out what I want to do with it. Yeah, that'd be a good way to repurpose content. Yeah. So I could sit down and I could just say, Hey, this, this concept in Rails and talk about it for 10 minutes and then do that every week. Um, but I, I haven't done anything with that. I've also thought about reviving Teach Me to Code the sc- screencast series, but I think I'm just going to do what I want to do with that on Rails Clips unless I get into some other programming paradigm or framework that isn't Rails.
0: And start a whole new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But no, that's fantastic. I think it's crazy how much you got going for you. But seeing how you produce so much content and are making so many podcasts, like, how do you find time to listen to any? What are some of your favorite shows like, to date?
1: So... Um, if I tell you all my favorite shows, some people are going to get pissed off, especially oh, uh, oh. since uh, it's the uh, election season, so people are paying more attention to politics. Okay. Because um, I do listen to a political podcast that from a personality that is fairly unpopular. Um, That's
0: completely up to you whether
1: you want to delve into that or not. Oh, I will totally share. I'm just saying, don't be mad at me because I listen to it.
0: I will, I'm will. i not ju- judging anybody.
1: But uh, anyway, so um, on the top of my list is Twit, Twit.tv, and sure. MacBreak Weekly by Leo Laporte. I love those shows. Um, it's just kind of fun to hear other people talk about tech stuff. And they hit it from kind of more of a consumer, less developer-y end. And they have tech pundits come on and talk about stuff. And so th- those are awesome. Those are just... Uh, tremendous, and I love those. Um, I also really like Michael Hyatt's This Is Your Life. Uh, it's just inspirational content, and he 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 really just hits home with every message. And they're so well-organized and well-done, and he kind of has a, an assistant um, set that up. Oh, another Leo Laporte show with Steve Gibson is Security Now. I also really like that one. Um, okay. Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. Uh, I'm
0: a fan of that myself.
1: Uh, Podcast Answer Man, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft. The one that's going to piss people off is I'm a huge fan of the Glenn Beck show.
0: <laughs> I I, th- I almost had a feeling it was that, but and I <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I know certain people will get uh,
2: butt hurt over that, but whatever. Yeah, we, we offend our listeners way too often, anyways. So yeah, it's, it's so fine. don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> well, so so my thing is is like I, I have no problem being who I'm going to be. Um, you know, I don't talk about it a lot on my shows because it's, it's off topic. Um, sure. you know, in the pick section, I've picked some of Glenn's books. Um, usually they're not the, here's, you know, here's my explanation of this topic that's kind of a political hot button issue. Usually they're things like, uh, uh, what is it? Martyrs and Massacres or, or, uh anyway he's got two of those books and they're just stories from history and yeah there's a little bit of here's the moral of the story at the end but you know they're not they're not like hey you know this particular hot button issue like uh you know common core he has a book on common core he's got a book on a couple of others and you know i i don't pick those cuz i'm you know i don't want to be preachy or anything and um i know that not everybody's going to get into it um you know, I also picked uh, some religious stuff a while back, and I, you know, I I got a whole bunch of people saying, you know, that was awesome. I really appreciated. I, you know, I, I've I've looked into a little bit of, you know, uh, the Mormon Church and stuff like that. And then I had some people just get totally bent out of shape, and you know, oh, it you know, it made me uncomfortable. Was kind of the nicest. Uh, negative feedback I got, okay. and uh, you know, I, I had one guy email me and say, "I'm telling people, I'm talking people out of listening to your show because you picked uh, the LDS Church." And you know, oh, for geez. for me, it was just, you know, what this is who I am. I didn't get on there and you know tell people that they're sinners or anything. You know, it was just, hey, look, you know, this is something that's been a positive thing in my life, and I'm sharing so. Yeah, you know, that's, but yeah, I I I don't have a problem being who I am, but I also am aware that not everybody wants to hear about those aspects of what's going on with me. So,
0: okay, yeah, that's fair enough, and yeah, like Matt said, we offend our listeners way too often <laughs> on this show. But um, Matt, do you have any questions before I kind of go into the video game side of things?
2: Um, I think I only have one. Um, it, obviously, you're very familiar with JavaScript, and I mean, you have. Show about it and you have Angular, uh, content. Uh, what do you think about a lot of the very, very new sort of bleeding edge JavaScript stuff? So, you know, people are talking ES7, um, the future of React, uh, Electron on the desktop. Um,
1: what's, what's your take on it? So. I'm going to piss people off with this too, but I don't mind. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let me start with the ES6, ES7 stuff. I think that it's long overdue, to be honest. I know a lot of people are out there and they're like, you know, the JavaScript we have is fine. And, you know, I I don't want to have to learn another language because there are a lot of new language features in ES6 or ES2015 and ES2016. Uh, ES 2017 is what they're actually working on now for the spec, and it's a big change from ES 5 to ES 2016, or 2015, or whatever it is. Uh, We just call it ES 6. Sure. So uh, a lot of those language features are things that I think are going to empower people to write better code. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sure, you need a transpiler, but heck – you know it's one build step um you uh, honestly the learning curve on those is so small compared to actually learning the new language features that you know the argument against having a build step versus the argument of we don't have time to learn the the features is kind of silly um but ultimately that's where javascript's going so in another year or two or three, you know, we're going to see browsers that have fully implemented, yeah, uh, JavaScript or ECMAScript 2015 or 2016 or 2017. And, you know, for older browsers, you're going to have to transpile for support anyway. And so there's no reason not to be learning it now. Um, I'm, I'm also really bullish about uh, systems like Dart or uh, TypeScript. Uh, Again, just because they add powerful features that enable certain apps to be written. And so, you know, go learn them, go figure them out, go see what they give you. And then you can make your own decision as to whether it works for you. But everybody should be at least looking at and learning ES6 and ES7, etc., is my opinion. Now, as far as React and some of these other systems go, a lot of them are based around functional reactive programming, which is a programming paradigm that I'm not going to explain on this show, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, allow me to say that it, it enables you to write certain types of apps and it eliminates a lot of side effects, which are usually where your bugs come into programming. Um, it's not a panacea, and that's part of what's going to tick people off is some people think that it is the way to go. The next way to go. And I think it's a very good and convenient way to go. I don't think it solves every problem. And I don't think it's a good fit for every problem as opposed to some of the more object oriented or procedural approaches, depending on your problem. But it does solve a lot of classes of bugs. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely a powerful paradigm. And so as much as we see Angular and I think Ember to a certain degree, Ember is much more OO than Angular is. And Angular Mm -hmm. has adopted a lot of FRP principles. Um, Ember has some and it's changing the way that it manages the DOM some based on React um, to make it faster and more performant. Um, so I'm really excited about those two, but, uh, I generally, you know, I don't see those as a panacea. And then finally you have JavaScript, like on the desktop, you talked about Electron, right? Uh, you also have, uh, things like Cordova where you're writing JavaScript for the mobile market. And, uh, Telerik has actually come out with, um, JavaScript. What is it? I forget. I forget the name of it, but they have one that actually statically compiles JavaScript to uh, machine bytecode or. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so it works like a native app. Uh, you also have React Native, which also compiles to a native app. Um, so you've got all of these different things, and they all have their trade offs. And uh, a lot of people think that JavaScript, since it's more or less ubiquitous, is the only language you're ever going to have to learn. And I just don't see that as the case. Um, a lot of people that that's another thing that's going to, you know, rub some people the wrong way is that they're, they're super excited about JavaScript being everywhere. And I think, um, I think in some ways that's nice and in other ways it's not. I also think that the, The code sharing that a lot of people think they're going to get out of that is is a pipe dream. I I don't think it really exists to the extent that makes it a slam-dunk useful thing. I think in some cases it works well, and in other cases it doesn't. And so you just kind of have to play it by ear and see. I mean, even systems like Meteor, where they have the front-end and back-end on uh, an application, you write different back-end code than front-end code. And so… Ultimately, you know, the frameworks are great. They solve a lot of problems for you. They also make a lot of assumptions for you that may help or hurt you. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's an ecosystem where, you know, you have a lot of options. And I think, uh, going just for the JavaScript solution in all cases is short sighted. And so you need to be looking at, at all the good solutions and make sure that you are not making major trade offs in productivity or performance based on your preference for a language or tool set.
2: Yeah, definitely valuable advice. And you mentioned um, Dart and TypeScript, and certainly you're a a big Ruby guy, so uh, I'm sure you've delved into CoffeeScript a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a favorite JavaScript dialect or language of choice?
1: Um, At this point, I'm still playing with them. Um, I haven't full-on adopted one. Uh, Mostly that's just because... Um, I haven't had a strong, a strong need for the full breadth of what they're capable of. Um, one of the things I like about uh, ES6 and TypeScript in particular uh, are that um, even though ES6 has incompatibilities with ES5, uh, for the most part, you can almost level up your JavaScript to it. And then TypeScript is a superset of ES6. And so you can learn them both at the same time. Um, you know, Dart is a different language that transpiles, and so is CoffeeScript. Um, and ES6 has basically adopted all the things I like about CoffeeScript, and so I'm not super excited about CoffeeScript like I once used to be. Um, you know, the the indentation syntax and things like that that are in CoffeeScript that aren't in ES6 uh, just aren't the features that I'm going to uh, CoffeeScript for. Um, you know, but the fact that ES6 has you know better collection types like sets. Uh, It has more powerful array and dictionary or object types um, and things like that are are super nice. And then they've really paid attention to the way that people are using JavaScript to build applications and have put other powerful features into it that honestly I think are going to save developers time. Um, So I, I really tend to go toward the things that look a lot more like uh, ES six and what I think the future of JavaScript is going to look like, as opposed to, um, things that are completely different languages like dart. Uh, that being said, there are several systems out there that look really cool. Um, one of the ones that I want to dig into a little bit more that keeps coming up in my circles is Elm. And that's a completely different language that, and system, uh, programming system that transpiles to JavaScript that, that I want to dig into. And it's, it's kind of, uh, react or, uh, functional reactive programming stuff on, on steroids. Like they fully adopted the paradigm. And, uh, I think, I think you're, if you really want to get that stuff, that's a good way to go. Um, but yeah, as far as dialects go, I mean, yeah, ES, ES six and typescript are kind of the ones that I'm, I'm most excited about, but I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying that they're my weapon of choice at this point because I'm still learning them.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Um, All right, I'm gonna kind of steer this conversation towards the video game aspect side of things of this podcast, Um, Chuck. So here's a question for you: You have plenty of programming background. In all of your noodling with code, have you ever done any like hobbyist game development or anything along those lines?
1: Uh, Not really. I've, uh, you know, I've I've written like little text adventure kind of stuff, but that's about it, (laughs) and really basic stuff. I mean, not to the level that. That you see, you know, major uh, things going on.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was just something I was curious about because personally, when I got into programming, that was just one of the things that it just drew me in. It's like, wow, I can program video games. Like, that is my shit. But, uh, yeah, I would <laughs> love just... to,
1: especially, uh, games in the browser, I think are really cool. So,
0: well, Matt has a lot of experience with that. Um,
2: in fact, didn't you use Dart to program? Uh, which, which was it? Yeah. I used Dart for a, a couple, Little things. Um, Who's uh, superior, Marco Cousins? That's right. Yeah. Um, well,
0: seeing how you don't, you haven't really done much game development. Uh, what games have you played? Like, what were some of the games you played growing up? Or like, are you more of a mobile gamer?
1: So, growing up, um, the big one for me was StarCraft. That probably isn't a surprise to anybody. It was a pretty popular game. Um, <laughs> I distinctly remember getting in trouble one time because. Um, my sister went to a marching band thing at the high school. I was supposed to pick her up, and I wound up playing StarCraft late enough to where by the time I got to the high school to pick her up, uh, I must have missed her because she was almost home. That was like a two and a half uh, mile walk for her in the cold in December without a coat, and I got in big trouble. But yeah, um, (laughs) StarCraft, um, back in the day, my dad got a I don't know what brand it was, but it was basically an eighty eighty eight. I remember we had the big box screen. It was really cool because it was a color screen, and uh, we had all kinds of text games on there. There was one called Castle. Uh, there were a couple of other ones where I, it was like Snipes or something. Where we, but they were all ASCII games or text games, and those were fun. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't get any into any of the popular ones like Zork or anything, but. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um and how about do you happen to play any current games like mobile or anything on your phone?
1: Yeah, so my phone um my dad is really into Dragonvale, so I play that with him. We send stuff back and forth. Um I've really gotten into one called Summoners War. Uh Okay, uh, that's ringing a bell. So yeah, you you have monsters and you level up your monsters and then you go fight battles in dungeons or against other players. Um, I, I, you know, I play Farm Hero, Saga, and Pet Rescue occasionally, or Candy Crush. Um, there was another one that I played for a while called Battleheart Legacy. Um, Hmm. and then also on the mobile, um, I've, I've played this for a long time on my computer, and now it's just whenever I'm sitting around wanting to, you know, kind of unwind, I play Hearthstone.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, that is, that is pretty, getting pretty popular.
1: And then, um... On my computer, I have StarCraft II, um, I have uh, Diablo III, uh, I still haven't bought the expansion. I'm kind of being cheap that way. Um, I did get the old WarCraft III, because I never got to play it when I was younger, and I always wanted to. It cost me like 10 bucks, and I have a, a Windows VM that I installed it on. Uh, nice because you know, downloading it, they only have it available for download for, for Windows. And the other issue is, is that the installers for Mac uh, don't work on Intel Macs with macOS, the latest versions of macOS 10. So I was like, oh, I'll just install it in a VM. It works fine. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, there are a few games that I actually program against. So there's uh, Elevator Saga, which is JavaScript. You write your... Uh, your elevator algorithm, and you try and beat the levels by writing a good enough algorithm to mm-hmm. get as many people to the floors they want to.
0: What? That is crazy cool.
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean those are kind of the ones that that I've been playing lately.
0: Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, have you been playing anything since we last talked, Matt? I guess we should try to fill the listeners in on what we've been playing too.
2: Um. No.
0: I've been, I've been playing that wrestling game like crazy. <laughs> Isn't that, that great? It's so goddamn fun.
2: I've been playing a lot of, uh, skiing, Yeti is Mar- skiing, Yeti mountain, which is, uh, the one that I already talked about. Um,
0: Oh, and, well, here's something, though, that's news. I remember I announced that they were planning on bringing Zumbini's to mobile. It finally came, and I started playing it, and you were totally right. You said, don't be surprised if you go back and play it, and you're, like, really, like, underwhelmed, and it's just, like, a really kiddish game, because, like, as (laughs) soon as I started playing it, I was, like, really, oh. Yeah, the
2: nostalgia is going to be way overblown.
0: (laughs) I mean, I might as well save this app for when I have a kid, because, like, I'm never going to play that. Oh, man, that's a shame. (laughs) But, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, go check now, it out. Now,
2: <laughs> I'll tell you what, if they made number munchers for Android, I could be all See, over that.
0: <laughs> I would play that in a heartbeat. I, I don't care how old I am, I would play that. That's too, too much nostalgia. But, um, okay, here's a question for you, Matt. I know you just got home and you're probably starving, but do you have time to play I Was the Walrus?
2: Um, yeah, I have a little bit of time. Alright. I'm great. gonna be the um, judge, though. I call being the uh, judge. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Alright,
0: I already uh, briefed Chuck that we're gonna play the game, so let's. uh, Alright, we're gonna play I Was Walrus.
1: short on sleep we'll see how this goes all right great that could work um, my advantage it, or not right it really could, uh, <laughs> it could honestly. either way
0: but uh i think we're ready to play um do you have categories matt because I, I can't I help you typed
2: one up um i'm thinking okay more um
0: I'll, I'll try to send
2: one okay do you want me to do you want me to get this started you're ready yeah sure are you guys ready
1: yeah let's do it yes
2: all right so imagine you are the keeper of the forest right it's like Lord of the Rings, you're a giant tree, right? You got magical powers and stuff. What do you do to troll all of the creatures in the forest? Oh, this is great. Oh,
1: man. Uh. Man, my humor is going to be so juvenile.
2: <laughs> it's always so juvenile in this game.
1: Uh, I think I'm ready. Uh, I think,
0: I guess, yeah, I guess I'm ready too.
2: Okay. All right, on three. Ready? One, two, three. I I would plug all the holes that the little critters
0: uh, live in.
1: You know, it, it's the forest. There's tons of fresh fruit out there. So you go, you eat as much fresh fruit as you can, because everybody knows that fresh fruit in those quantities gives you awful gas. Oh, and yeah. then I would just go running <laughs> through the forest. Stinking it. And that's right. Just, oh, wow. Just a big
2: old tree ant, just run through the forest, gas in the place. That's
1: right. And then I would go back through an hour later and go, what happened here?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's an auto win because all my a- animals would be glad that they're underground, avoiding the <laughs> gas. <gassing. laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to give it to... That was jokes. a fantastic answer. So that's that's a perfect I, example of how we play this game. So I, I told
1: you would be juvenile.
0: I <laughs> know. That's what we want. That's great. All right, so, oh, man. So. I,
1: I am a Cub Scout leader, so, yeah, anything that makes them laugh, I guess, is a good answer. Oh, that's
2: perfect. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Um, Where did the inspiration come for that? That was great, man. I don't even know.
2: <laughs> I'm, oh, I got all my D&D stuff here on the desk still nice. uh, from Sunday. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I got, like, six experience points for that.
2: Oh, oh. absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: I'm gonna level up my dexterity here. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, Matt. If this could, I don't know if this will help you or not, but maybe something to be to do with being rescued by someone or something.
2: Okay. Oh, how about this? How about um, you are in trouble, right?
0: Always, but. I forgot to pick up my sister at school. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Playing too much Starcraft.
2: (laughs) Not that kind of trouble. You're, you're in trouble, but you think you can get out of it and you can save yourself, right? Uh huh. And at the most inopportune moment, someone comes in to rescue you. What is that situation? And how does this play out? What, what is this embarrassing situation that you're being rescued from?
0: Oh, no. Oh, yeah, this is tough. Huh.
2: You think you can get out of it. You're like, oh, my God, if I had more time. And then and then someone shows up in some way. I'll save you.
0: All right. Wow. My answer is really a long one and a true story. So it's, it's going to be weird. Oh, dear. Yeah. Give me another I minute. Hope, yeah, I hope it's winning material, but I'm not sure if it is.
1: Okay. I, I think I've got something.
2: All right. Ready? On three.
0: One, two, three. Okay, mine's kind of long, so bear with me. I was not supposed to be having sex, and I had, like, thrown my girlfriend into a closet to, like, and my mom had just got home, and I was like, oh shit, I am in deep shit. And she, and the thing is, uh, oh my god, I was so screwed. And the bottom line is, my dog ended up, uh, creating a distraction. So that I was capable of sneaking her out of my house and getting her home without my mom even knowing that, that she was in my closet naked and I snuck her out of into my car and to her house. And the reason being is my dog who came to my rescue.
1: Oh, gotcha. So you were,
2: you were rescued by your dog. Yeah, he cr- per- created
0: the perfect distraction.
1: <laughs> nice. All right. So, so I was thinking of something more along the lines of you're you're at a party for work. And somebody mm-hmm. spills their drink on your jeans, and it's mm-hmm. it's something that stains. So you got to get it out right away because these are these are nice pants, and you, you got to take care of it. So you kind of rush out of the room, and you're not really paying attention. You run into the bathroom, and uh, you know nobody's in there, so you pull your pants off and you put them in the sink, and then you realize I've got to go now. Uh, so you, no. so so you run over into the stall and you sit down, and you start going. And when you're done, you're getting ready to come out, and you look over to your left by the sink, and you see high heels. And you realize that you have gone into the ladies' room. Your pants are in the sink. You don't have any pants on. And you're stuck in the stall waiting for help, right? Well, luckily, your boss you know, was wondering where you were going, and he saw you go in there. And so you're just waiting for this lady to leave. And the boss comes in and starts having a conversation with this lady in the ladies' room. And you're thinking, okay, how much worse can this get? You know, my boss is in here. He's going to see me in the ladies' room. And he's talking to this lady, and she's not leaving. And so he came in to rescue you, where in reality, all you needed was another couple of minutes for her to finish washing her hands. And you'd be able to leave. Oh,
2: man.
0: That was quite...
2: That's the, horrifying.
0: I, I was I was literally in that man's shoes. <laughs> I was <laughs> terrified. That was such a good description. Oh man! But but the the thing is about this. All right, and now this is part of the game right, where now, we defend now, our, now our answers. We get
2: down to the the debate. Yeah, we we defend our <laughs> answers.
0: Uh, I, see, I don't see that as a true rescue moment. I see where my dog, he made the distraction and I was able to get out of the situation. I was no longer in the trouble I was initially in, whereas that person is still in trouble. And either the, I don't know what's going to go on because the boss shouldn't be in the lady's bathroom that long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair that, enough.
2: Well, that I, I guess that's true. At the same time, your dog passes no judgment. Your, your dog doesn't <laughs> know. You know, so that, I mean, that could have been a much worse situation. But that's why he,
0: he was just like, an I don't even know, an un, I didn't expect him as a savior. It was, I literally thought at that point of my day, I was like, well, I am in some serious shit. And then I pulled some 007 shit. Thanks to my dog. That's true.
2: That's true. Oh man.
0: (laughs) It was literally like living a movie that day. I was, I was, I couldn't believe it.
2: Hmm. All right. So let me ask you this. What kind of dog He's have?
0: adorable. It, I, if you saw a picture of him, you'd you'd is, be like, "That's the a winner." Is it a small dog or is it a yes, big dog? Yes, a small dog.
2: Is it what is it, what is it a, a cute dog or is it like one of those very things, ones that look like they always I'll have put, a wet face?
0: I'll put a picture in chat. One sec.
2: Okay. Here also, go, Slack picture. somehow changed its icon. It used to be like a little plaid thing, and then it turned white, and now it's like a little plaid thing again. I don't know what they're doing.
1: I love
0: Slack go. though.
1: Oh, it's, it's so it, good!
0: If we didn't have Slack, our podcast would be so unorganized. There's you the picture. In Skype? Yes.
1: Oh,
2: it it might be loading.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot. I Skype it. is not the best to send it send files with. But he's a little guy. He's cute.
2: I'll have to take your word for it.
1: Oh damn it! So okay.
2: what? What kind of? What kind of office party are we talking about here? Is, is this like the Christmas party?
1: Yeah, that's what like... I was kind of envisioning. Was like the Christmas party. Mm, so this is the one just everyone's like at. Your, yeah, so your... everybody's dressed up and brought their yeah, spouse. Yeah, it's not like a team and...
2: social. It's not yeah. like the a Q4 kind of right. you know sales goal reached. Oh man, I oh. I'm going to have to give this one to Charles just because, like, that that gives me chills just thinking about it. It It's so horrifying. (laughs) I was terrified. Because I can can imagine that happening where it's like you're in just a panic. You got your hipster pants and and you don't want them to stain because you haven't washed them in a month and you're not supposed to wash them. And, (laughs) you know, you're just in a real hurry and you just want to get it over with. And, like, oh, man, that's just – it's just a bad situation. Every it's way. You too look at it. It's too real. It it's too real. It is too real. It hits very close uh, to home. I, yeah. I have to I, say
1: though that I have done some things that I was terrified my parents would find out about, and so I, I, I was there with you too. I was just like, "Oh man, <laughs> that, my I'm mother that, would have murdered me."
0: Yes. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone there. Then. So. Okay, that's good. But hey, we have a winner. Uh, it's Charles. Thanks Woo. for thanks for playing. Do we oh, have no, like home. a
2: winner noise? Uh, like like it's some
0: the like, the winning music. Outro. Dun, da, da, da.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess that's it. Okay. Alright, guys. Well, this has been a real fun episode. I can't thank you enough for joining us, uh, Charles. Uh, is there any thing you would like to plug obviously dev chat tv um first and foremost but is there any way our listeners can reach you or any kind of final words you have for our our viewers
1: um so so mainly i mean if, if you're listening to the podcast even if you just started um i love connecting with people you know you feel free to email me chuck at devchat.tv uh you can also find me on twitter at c uh c is charles max is my middle name and w is my would um the other things yeah devchat.tv you can go check out the remote conferences uh rails remote conf js remote conf i'll probably be doing ruby remote conf again next year i'm also looking at adding a conference for uh, something related to freelancing or careers and another one probably for ios Uh, i've been getting a lot of demand for that off of ifreaks Um, and so yeah just look for any of those and uh, go check out rails clips if you're into development um, I've got some other things in the works, but I don't want to talk about them because I don't want them to have them done. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I am happy to talk to people about whatever. Um, I actually do 15 minute calls with any of the listeners to any of the shows. So if you listen to the show, you can get the URL for that. Um, I, I just announce it at the end of every show and, uh, yeah, you just schedule a time with me and I talk to you on Skype. So mm-hmm. if you're into the shows and you want to do that, then keep an ear out for that. Um, but yeah, I, have you know any way you want to is great and uh yeah i'm just excited to be here i i like connecting with people and and talking about whatever so
0: yeah oh we it's been so much fun and i seriously would love to have more of the entre programmers on our show in fact it'd be great to have you and john go head to head at the conversation game that just played <laughs> maybe even get Derek bailey in on the mix and josh and stuff so we could have some real fun uh down the road but i'll i'll definitely stay in touch and um, I guess listeners, if you enjoy our shows, please let us know. Uh, give us a, r- a rating review on iTunes. It, tri- it helps us tremendously. And we have Facebook, Twitter, our handles: abt silence. And if you want to email us suggestions for the game, uh, I Was Walrus, you can always send categories to silence at gmail.com. Anything you want to add before we go, Matt?
1: All right. Can I can I add something real quick? Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I, I don't think people realize exactly how much that helps. Uh, the more reviews you get in iTunes, especially close together, uh, the higher your podcast ranks. Uh, the other thing is, is if you share it with other people and people start subscribing, that also really helps. If they subscribe through iTunes, those are kind of like votes for the show. And so the the more the more you can do for this show like that, the more it helps. Just just saying as a podcaster.
0: Oh, that that's really that puts it like we can't ever explain that correctly to our audience. So you did a great job. So seriously, listener, any kind of help you can throw our way. We really appreciate it. Tell your, your every, your mother, your brother, your cousin about our show, as long as you think they'll enjoy it. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for joining us, Chuck. Yep. See ya.
1: Bye.